Amen. Amen. As I told you earlier, I wanted you to turn to the book of Nehemiah chapter 8 as we move into our time of learning about God's Word this morning. Attention towards that. And I hope you've had a good time worshiping this morning. I pray that what we did here doesn't end when we leave here today, that you continue to worship, that you continue to praise God throughout the week. To God, as, as you're going about your everyday duties and everything that you do in this world, just continue to pray to God, continue to talk to God daily, and continue that worship that, that happens here. Do it in your own lives as well. In Nehemiah chapter 8, I told you I wanted to talk to you on this subject this morning. A heart, a mind, a heart, and a soul for the Word of God. A mind, a heart, and a soul for the Word of God. And what we've seen here through this, through seven chapters, you've seen a lot of adversity. You've seen a lot of, of, of opposition towards Nehemiah and what God has called them to do. Not just him, but the leaders that were supporting him. And not just them, but the people. The, the people that were doing the work, the citizens that were there, that were left behind. Remember, they were poor, they were feeble, and that's what we've learned about over these past few weeks. They were, most of them were uneducated, those that were left behind in Jerusalem. And they didn't have a lot of money, they didn't have any resources, and they needed somebody to come together and show them how to do it, and that's what God called Nehemiah back to do. Now that we've left that kind of uh, section of, of verses or chapters 1 through 7, and we're kind of moving on to a different section, we see more of a ministry start to happen in Jerusalem. Not that ministry wasn't happening in the past, but we're going to see a lot more focus on worshiping God, praising God, and learning who God is. From the book of Nehemiah chapter 8, and just as Debbie had read an excerpt from this this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet this morning for the honor of the reading of God's Word. And, and a lot of times I tell you about let's stand in honor of God's Word. This is where it comes from. This is what the people did when they read the Scriptures publicly. And this is what we read in chapter 8. And all the people gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate. That's very important. They were in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which is the Lord which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the, pe- the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. On the first day of the seventh month, he read from before it in the square, which was in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people who were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, which they had made for this purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Anaiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maasaiah on his right hand, and Pedaiah, Mishael, Malkilja, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, Masaiah, uh, Kilatah, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Pelaiah, and the Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. 
They read from the book from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping and when they heard these words of the law. Then he said to them, Go, eat, eat, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went away to eat and to drink and to send portions and to celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. During the Feast of the Booths that were restored, listen to what it says, Then on the second day the heads of fathers' households and all the people, the priests, the Levites, they were gathered together, in the, and uh, Ezra the scribe, so that they might gain insight in the words of the law. They found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. So they proclaimed and circulated a proclamation in their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out into the hills and bring olive branches and wild branches, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square of the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. The entire assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths, and they lived in them. The sons of Israel had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day. And there was great rejoicing. He read from the book of the law of God daily, from the first day to the last day. And they celebrated the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the ordinance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father... I pray that you'll give me more insight. I thank you for preparing me for this message this morning, but I pray that you'll continue to give me insight. I pray that you'll continue to teach me through this word this morning. But Father, I also pray that you teach all of us that have gathered here, all of those that have gathered, maybe that are streaming online, to give us understanding of your words, Father. What we've read here, Father, is it's, it's a wide story, Father. We, we seem to have jumped from one event to another, but Father, as we put it all together, I pray that you do all the work and that you'll use me to that end so that we can pull all of this together to understand what it is that these people were doing and what it means for us today in our own lives as to what we should be doing with your word. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given, us, given it to us today to be able to read it. And I pray that you give us a mind as you did with these folks as, as you did with the Israelites, that you gave them a mind to understand it. So give us that mind this morning, Father. Let us walk away from here knowing you better, closer to you than we've ever been. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now, looking at this this morning, there was... Uh, there was, uh, I've I, I messed my notes up, please excuse me. As I said this morning, the, the last section of Nehemiah here, 
8 through 13, has to do with the ministry of the people of Jerusalem. They've, they've moved away from a lot of the physical work that, that Nehemiah was sent there for to be able to rebuild the wall, as we know at this point. They rebuilt the wall in 52 days. But as we move on through these last five chapters, we're going to read about a dedication that takes place. That's the dedication of the walls. We're going to learn, and, and it was all done biblically, we're going to learn about confession of sin, and we're going to learn about a cleansing fellowship among the people. So it's, it's among some of the things that we're going to learn over the next four or five weeks and it all started, let me, let me say this, is that all of this started in, verse, or in chapter 8 with the Word of God. So we're going to look at what the Word of God means and what it should mean to us today because there's an important message in here and I want to point that out to us. If you're not, if you're not up on reading your book and you've not made it a habit in your life or you're just not in the mood to do it, I, I hope and pray that this morning you pay attention to see what they did to make it a part of their life. This is what they desired to do. They desired to know more about God as they took care of one another, as we're going to look at that as well, and as they gave glory to God. So we're going to see that over the next five weeks, the ministry that is actually taking place in Jerusalem after these walls have been restored. And, and having said that, I want to shift gears just a little bit. I want to ask you a question. It's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer it. But what makes and molds a Christian? Think about that answer. What makes and molds a Christian? Now we can give all sorts of answers. We can say, well, maybe it's in their upbringing. Maybe it was a part of their upbringing from their parents. Maybe it's in their beliefs. Well, something told them to believe this way, or something that they've read, or something that they've done all their life has told them to believe these things. Or it could be, uh, you could have an answer of, well, it, it depends on who influenced them who influenced them uh, on their beliefs as a Christian. Well, the truth is that all of these answers, whether it was in their upbringing or their beliefs or their influences, for a Christian to become who they are, it all comes back to the Word of God. Because if, if, a, if a parent is teaching their children before they understand, and they're teaching them the things of the Word of God, when they grow older, they'll begin to understand the Word of God on their own. If, if it's through their beliefs as a Christian then something taught them that. Where did that teaching come from? You say, well, it might have been their Sunday school teacher. But where does the Sunday school teacher get the material? I heard, a, I heard an evangelist ask, uh, say this one time. He said he was teaching a class at a university. Uh, it was a seminary. And one of the students stood up and says, where do you get your material and where do you get your, eye, uh, your ideas to preach a sermon? And he just held up his Bible. It's just right here. It, it all comes from the Word of God. Everything that we know about God, everything that we can do to come closer to God, everything that we know about prayer, everything that we know about doing for our neighbors and being good to our neighbors and taking care of the widows and the orphans, everything that we know about that comes from the Word of God. There's no other source. There's no other source. Of course, there's also nature that God says even, even nature cries out the glory of God. All you have to do is look around you and know that there is a God. However, the Bible is what teaches you about who God is and how much He loves us. So everything comes from here. That, that answer to uh, what makes and molds a Christian comes back to the Word of God. The Word of God is what teaches us. And that's what we're going to see here in this chapter. We see a nation of believers because the Word of God can make a Christian, and in some cases, the Christian can make the, the nation. Now we know as we, we move farther and farther away from God in this nation, we see us becoming more and, more and more ungodly in general overall as a nation. That doesn't mean everybody's ungodly. It just means collectively as a whole we're becoming more and more ungodly. 
But nations have been molded. This nation was molded and made off of when our forefathers, they had a, a stern belief in the Word of God, and they did not, they did not waver on it. There, there was no negotiation. There were no talks that maybe we could water down God's Word a little bit. They founded it on the Christian beliefs, on what God had, had said, and God had provided them the template, and that's how they started this nation. And the nation here of Israel, and I'm just comparing that, the nation of Israel was based on the Word of God. This is how the people were. And, and the reason that they were the way they were is because, first of all, they had a mind for Christ. They, they had a mind for Christ. That's the first point, by the way, but they had a mind for Christ. Now, when I say a mind for Christ, or I'm sorry, the mind, a mind for the Word of God is what they had. They had a mind for the Word of God. That means that, first of all, they desired to know the Word of God. And we can see that right here because Ezra gets up in the square and he starts to read the Word publicly before everybody. Man, I wish we could have more public readings of God's Word. And people say, you know, you're so old-fashioned, Troy. Man, I would love to go down to Park Circle and just have the reading of God's Word every night. Wouldn't that be wonderful? You, you see at the end of the story that they, were, that they were gathered for seven days and they were reading God's Word. Yeah, it was a revival. That's what we call a revival today, isn't it? We don't see many of those anymore, do we? Maybe it's, start, maybe it's time that we started to bring those back. But, but they had a the Word of God. In other words, they had, first of all, not a mind for the Word of God, they had an understanding for the Word of God. Now, as, as I just wrote, as I just read, um, they had that mind for the Word of God to understand it. Now, if you remember as I was reading the first part, that only those that could understand, only those that could comprehend the Word of God were to come and to hear the reading, the public reading. Look, look what it says in verse 2. In, in verse 2, we see, it says, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. Now, what that meant was is the little children who didn't have that comprehension yet, they, they weren't there. It was all the grown-ups who could comprehend and pay attention to God's Word. Now, now somebody out there that what didn't really love God and as we look at our empty pews here and the empty seats in the pews, there's a lot of people out there and there's a lot of churches that have empty pews this morning and there's a lot of people sitting at home. You say, well, they, they certainly are old enough to comprehend God's Word and to understand it, but they have no desire to do it. So they couldn't comprehend it. You know, I had a, I had a, a boss of mine when I used to work for Publix, this is 25 years ago, and he told me this one thing. It's always stuck with me. I don't know where he got the quote or if, if he got it from someone else, but he said, you act like that which you about. In other words, whatever's important to you, is, that's what you think about. That's what's on your mind most of the time. Is the Word of God on your mind? Is Jesus on your mind all day long? Is God and the love of God on your mind all day long? Are you desiring to know the Word of God? The Israelites desired to know it. Those that didn't desire to know it couldn't comprehend it, so they stayed home. So what he's saying is that all that could comprehend it, all that could understand it, were invited out. In verse 3, it says it again. And I want you to, it, because this is very important, because he says it several times. In verse 3, he says again, in the presence of men and women, those who could understand so he repeats it once again. And he also repeats it in verse 7 and 8. Look what it says in verse 7 and 8. Let me flip my page back here. In, in verse 7, 
He, he names all these guys, which I nailed that, by the way, when I pronounced all those names, didn't I? Y'all think I nailed that? Boy, I was proud of myself when I got through those because I practiced it, I'm telling you. But he says, he says that all these people came, and what, the, what were they doing? They were, they, were, um, they were translating the Word of God in verses 7 through 8. They were translating it. So what it was was the people who didn't quite know everything, but they had a desire to know. In other words, they could comprehend it. So that's why they were there. They had a desire to know it. It, it also, in verses, uh, in verses 12 and 13, we see the same thing happen. So the writer here, Nehemiah, writes this because it was very important that those who could comprehend would come out to hear the Word of God. And then what they would do is they would go out and they would tell the people that had no desire until they could plant that seed, so to speak. So the people that could understand, and, and what I'm telling you is, is that we have to have a mind for Christ. We have to have that desire to want to know more about who Jesus is. And it all starts with the Word of God, as I've said in my introduction. Jesus teaches us that same thing in Matthew chapter 13. In verse 23, it says, and listen, this was the parable of the sower. If you remember the parable of the sower where some of it fell on stony ground, some of the seed fell on thorny ground, and some of it fell on good ground. you remember that? And, and this is what he says in Matthew 3.23, or 13.23. And the one of whom the seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it. So the, 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 the seed that falls on the good ground is a man that wants to know and wants to understand the word of God. And then it goes on to say, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. So we have to have that understanding, that desire to want to understand the Word of God. And this is what they would do. They, they had a mind for Christ, a mind for the Word of God. And, and I told you earlier, and I'm just going to throw this little side note in here, is that he took the Word of God to the Watergate. And that's, that's my, kind of my next uh, sub-point here, is that we have to take the Word of God with you. Well, well, Ezra brings the Word of God to the Watergate. And it's interesting to note that the is where they assembled to hear the Word of God. Now, if, if you think about this, and I, I, don't, I, I don't think it's a coincidence myself, but it could be a coincidence. Maybe he wasn't thinking this direction. But what does water do for you? It cleanses you, doesn't it? What does the Word of God do for you? It cleanses you. It cleanses us. It, it, and we're going to learn about that later. It, it gets all the junk out when we start to react to the Word of God positively. It gets all that junk out. That's what water does. Now, water does something else. It quenches our thirst, doesn't it? And man, let me tell you, and you're feeling down and things aren't going right and you just seem to be struggling, the Word of God has a way of just calming you down. You say, well, I've never experienced that. Well, then you've never read it when you were down. Because I promise you that if you calm down and read the Word of God or you begin to pray and you get alone with God, that His Word will calm you down, it'll slow down the pace, it'll allow you to start thinking clearly. It's just because it's living inactive, that's what God's Word does. So if you've never experienced that, then you haven't read the Word of God while you've been down and you've been struggling. But He took the Word with Him. So that's also having a mind of Christ. Do you take the Word of God everywhere you go? Now, you might not carry a physical Bible everywhere, and I've told you in the past, and, and this is nothing I'm not trying to brag, but I've got a Bible in my car, I've got a Bible at work, I've got about five of them at home, I've got about 30 of them in my office. I take the Word of God wherever I go. You've got them on your cell phones, don't you? How often does that happen? And don't 
don't write this down as gospel, but I'm just going to ask you a question. If you could see how many minutes you spent on Facebook versus looking at the Word of God on your phone, I think you'd be astounded. So let me just say that about the electronic Bible. They're good. Satan has had these cell phones and electronics long enough. It's about time we used them for the glory of God. Amen? But think about how much time you spend on Facebook on your phone versus how much time you spend looking up a piece of Scripture or you needed something to inspire you or somebody asked you a question and you needed to find the answer. But, but we have it available. But I'm not talking about just physically carrying a Bible everywhere you go and you go into Bilo to buy some groceries and you got the Word of God. It, there's some places just to kind of impractical to do that. You're here grocery shopping. And I get that. But how many times do we go out into this world and do our everyday tasks without bringing the Bible or the Word of God with us in our mind? And that's what I'm talking about. If you read it, you know it. You're going to take it with you wherever you go. And everything that you come up against, every decision you make, is going to come back to the Word of God. Are you mentally prepared taking God's Word with you? Ezra literally took it with him, but his mindset was to encourage the people. So he brought it physically, but he also brought it mentally. So we have to take the Word of God with us. It's all a part of having a mind for the Word of God. We have to be thinking about it constantly. The next point is this, is that we have to read it frequently. When you have a mind of Christ, you'll read it frequently. He opened it and he read it. The, the, the Scripture says that he opened it among the people, he began to read it. He read it, he opened it, he read it. We don't just open things for no reason, do we? If you do, you could get in a lot of trouble. You know what that did to the cat, don't you? Curiosity killed it. We just don't open anything for no reason, do you? You were walking in the park and you saw a suspicious bag. Would you just start ripping it open to find out what's in it? Not in this day and time. At least I wouldn't hope you would. You see a couple hundred dollar bills hanging out of it, that might tempt you a little more, right? But we wouldn't open it. He opened it for a purpose. He, he read it. He opened it so he could read it. He opened it so he could teach the people what it meant. And he had all these people with him, all these Levites that were there to him, the people. That's what he did. He, he, was, he was trying to teach the people. He blessed God before he read it. Not only did he bring it with him, but he blessed God before he read it. Look what it says in verse 5. In verse 5 it says, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people and he was standing above the people. That doesn't mean that he, was, he thought of himself higher than the people. He was literally on a podium like I'm kind of up here. And he opened it and all the people stood up. So he opened it. And then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Amen, what does it mean? So let it be. So let it be. What did he do? What did Ezra do before he read it? He, he blessed God. He prayed. So we're going to pray about this. We want understanding. You know, if you read the Bible sometimes, you can't quite get it. Pray before you read it and ask God to give you understanding. I promise you to make a huge difference. So he, he read it, he blessed God before he read it. And the people stood in response in the honor, not of the scroll itself, not of the paper and the, and, and the scroll that it was written on. They didn't stand in honor of this. They stood in honor of God because it was the, breath, uh, uh, the breathed word of God that they were reading. They were standing in honor of God. That's what they were doing. Not in honor of Ezra, but in honor of the reading of words God, uh, of God's Word. And they worshipped after Ezra blessed God. In verse 6, look what it says that the people did. 
after he, uh, after he did that, amen, amen, while lifting up their hands, they bowed low and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Man, wouldn't that be a sight if we were to read God's Word in here and fall to their faces because of the conviction or the love of God that they had when the Word of God was read? What would that look like? So, they had to read it frequently. And as we see later, they read it seven days straight. As they were in the Feast of the Booze, they read it seven days straight. And lastly, we have to make sense of the Word of God. When we understand God's Word, we have to make sense of it. And, and I, I, I already mentioned that. All these people were with them, these Levites. What were they doing? They were helping the people understand it. Now remember, they had, a, they had the capacity to want to, to learn God's Word. They came there prepared to hear something, to learn something. Now remember, the, 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 the Word of God that they had was just the Torah. It was just the first five books. That's all they had. They didn't have the New Testament. They didn't learn about John and Paul and Peter. Those guys hadn't even, hadn't even been born yet. And they were convicted by the Word of God, as we're going to see. So we have to, we have to make sense of the Word of God. Sometimes when we read it, it doesn't make sense. Sometimes we have to ask questions. But in verse 8, we see that the people went out and they began to make sense of the Word of God to the people, to all the people. So they had a mind for God, but they also, or a mind for the Word of God, but they also had a heart for the Word of God. So they had a mind for God, they, they, they needed to understand it. And number two was they had a heart for the Word of God. What does that mean? They had to have a love of the Word of God. And, and I'm here to, you say, well, I just, you know, I just got no interest in reading it. So then you don't have a love for. God. Pastor, that's kind of offensive that you say that to me. I'm not trying to be offensive, I'm just trying to be real. Remember I said earlier, you act like that which you think about. And a lot of people think about Facebook on their phone before they think about the Word of God. It's what's important to you is that's what you think about. Is the Word of God important to you? If it's not, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person, it doesn't mean that you're in despair, it doesn't mean that you're going to be the fiery depths of hell for all of eternity, what it means is, is that you need to get a desire to, for God's Word. You need to find that love and get that heart for the Word of God. Now, how do you do that? Well, Bible tells me if you need something, just ask. If it needs to be open, just knock. And you need to begin to ask God, change my heart on this matter. Change my heart on my heart on reading God's Word. God, I need you to change me because right now I have no desire whatsoever. But I want it. I want to have the desire. I desire to have, to have the desire, but right now I don't have it. Just ask Him. He'll change your mind. When I was teaching a Sunday school class, this was probably close to 30 years ago, and probably the first time I ever taught Sunday school class, I read of this young lady who wanted to become a missionary, but she was so in love with her boyfriend, he had even, he'd even asked her to marry him. He was successful, and they loved each other so much, and she wanted to become that missionary. She had a, a desire to do what God wanted her to do, but she had this temptation here that was holding her back from doing God's Word because she was so in love with this young man. And here's what she says, God, I need you to change my heart and tell me what I need to do. Out of love, and then I pray that you do it. And that's exactly what God did. He didn't cause her to have a hatred for this young man, but, she, but God allowed her, her feelings for him to subside and her feelings to go into the missionary field grew more and more every day. God can change us. 
But we have to be willing to ask. So if you don't have a, a heart for the Word of God, ask Him. Do you know love can bring conviction? If you don't believe me, how many times have you ever done something to your significant other, to your spouse, or your boyfriend, or your girlfriend, and man, you felt terrible afterwards? Come on, testify. Anybody? You ever done something to hurt somebody that you love so much, and then you just felt horrible about it? That's called conviction. If you didn't love that person, no conviction would be brought about. So sometimes love can bring about conviction. Now let's, let's look at what I'm talking about. That, that heart for the Word of God can bring about conviction. Look what it says in verse 9. After he read the Word, after he, he blessed the Word, blessed God, he read the Word, the people worshipped, it says that Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and the scribe, the Levites, who taught the people, said to the people, This day is holy to you, or holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn and weep. Why were they mourning and weeping? Man, this is supposed to be a celebration. And what were they doing? They were weeping. You know, there's a lot of Baptist pastors out there to go to church. There's a lot of ministers. There's a lot of Methodists. There's a lot of Lutheran to go to church on Sunday morning so fired up to preach the Word of God and to sing the Word of God, and all it takes is two or three people to just take them down in the dumps, man, and they're, they're shot. It happens. I'm not complaining. It just happens. But, but my point is this, is that the Word of God, the Word of God, if it can bring conviction. It can, when we love somebody so much, it can bring us down. They were weeping. We're, we're in church, and I'm thinking sometimes, I'm in church, I should be happy, I should be glad, I'm ready to sing, and man, I feel so terrible. I feel terrible. They, they were weeping. Why were they weeping? Because remember, listen, I, and maybe I should back up, there was, this is a busy, you know, it's a busy week for us, but it was for them. It was the first, it was the seventh month, which is our about equivalent to our calendar, is right around the first of the year. So the seventh month was actually around... Late December, early January is when it started for us, if you're looking for a comparison there. But it was their seventh month. They had three festivals, or three things that they were supposed to do that month. They had the Feast of the Trumpets, which was supposed to represent Christ coming. The Day of Atonement, where they made sacrifices for the sin of the people. And then they had the Feast of Booths that we're reading about. All three of them in that same month. They had a busy month. It was a busy month for them. And, and a lot of y'all are wondering... I always wondered why around Christmas time and New Year's Jewish people were so busy. Now you know why. They, they had three very major things. The most, the most important was the Day of Atonement. Now, they had just come out of the Day of Atonement where the sacrifices were made. After the Day of Atonement, they had five days, five days before the Feast of Booths were to start. Now, I'm, I'm trying to go back and give you some history so you can understand the Word of God more. And five days after the Day of Atonement, they started the Feast of the Booths. I'll explain to you what the Feast of the Booths are in here in just a moment. And I know it's 12 o'clock, but we're learning something here about God's Word. Now listen. They had just come out of the Day of Atonement where they were making sacrifices for their sin. And Bill, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Man, when the Word of God points your sin out, what do you do? You feel terrible. So they had just made the Day of Atonement. And these people are... And then Ezra comes up here and reads God's Word. And they feel like a Baptist pastor on a bad Sunday. That's a joke. Y'all can laugh at that. They were like, my goodness, I'm just so convicted. This, this man of God gets up here and reads God's Word. The priests were offering sacrifices just a few days ago for, for my atonement, for my sin to be forgiven. And remember, there was no Jesus on the cross back then. This is what they did. The Day of Atonement was for their sin. 
This was a good time to be convicted. Do you see what I'm saying? This was a good time to bring about conviction. Because they loved the Word of God so much, it brought conviction in their life. Because they had gone through the Day of Atonement and pointed out their sin, now the Word of God is stirring up their sin. And the Word of God has a way of doing that. It has a way of making your sin come to light. Then you feel bad. Love can bring about conviction. But it's a good thing. Why is it a good thing? Because then we get to see the grace of God as a result. That's the positive. That's the thing that really gets us pumped up. We get to see how God has forgiven us. And we're going to learn about that. The love of the Word of God had them weeping. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says, Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. I'll read that again. Through the law, God's Word, comes the knowledge of sin. And if you don't read the Word of God, you have no desire for it, then you have no love for it. If you love God's Word and you read it, it's going to bring about your sin in your life. And it's going to clean you up. The good news is, is the grace that we experience from it. So love can bring about conviction, but it also should bring rejoicing. Nehemiah tells them in verse 9, Don't be sad. Right. Now is the time for the Feast of Booths. You know the Feast of Booths was a time to celebrate. It, it was a celebration. It was a festival, so to speak. So it was a happy time. And I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. But Nehemiah says, no, go eat, be happy, drink, be merry. Because we're now into the time of the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, as some of your Bibles might say. Nehemiah tells them to be happy and celebrate. They had just observed the Day of Atonement. which We just kind of recap there. They should be rejoicing in the love at this point. They should be rejoicing in the love of knowing that God has forgiven their sin. And they're still stuck on their sin. And Nehemiah says you need to turn your attention because God has forgiven your sin. And that's where grace comes in. And that's what should make us happy. We're turning we're, we, on the Day of Atonement. God has forgiven you. Be happy about that. And that's what was encouraging them to do. When God has forgiven you and He's cleaned you up and set you on the right path, man, if you're not shouting for glory, then there's something wrong. But love will also bring us in line with God's Word. When we love the Word of God, love will bring us in line with God's Word. Psalm chapter 1, verse 2 says this. It says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. The person's delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. That's what we do as people. Psalm 112, chapter, chapter 112, verse 1 says, How blessed is the man who fears the Lord and who greatly delights in his commandments. In other words, who delights in his law, who delights in his word, who delights in his statutes. How happy and blessed that man is. What my idea. It just happens that way. This is what the writer's telling us. And he's, and he's right. Truthful statement. So it brings about... A love, it brings about joy in our life. Now I'll move on to the third point. Skip those last few notes and I'm going to go on to the third point. We should have a soul after the Word of God. In other words, everything that we do, our soul, deep down in our soul, should be geared towards the Word of God. Knowing the Word of God, loving the Word of God, desiring the Word of God, understanding the Word of God. More importantly, living the Word of God. Living it. Don't just read it. It's not, it's, it, it's not fiction. It, it's not, oh, that was a good story. might read it again someday and I'll keep it here. How many of y'all read a book and you've read it twice? How many of you read a book and you thought, that's a good story. I'm going to read that again. It's been sitting there for 24 years and you still haven't read it again. That's not what this is. You read it once, you're going to want to read it again. I promise you. 
I can't tell you how many times I've read the Bible from cover to cover, and I love it, and I learn something different every time I do. So we have to have a soul after the Word of God. In other words, it should become our life. It should become our lifestyle. It should become second nature to us. What am I talking about? I'm talking about obedience. I'm talking about being obedient to the Word of God. That's reading it, not just putting it on the shelf and say, I'll read that again in 35 years, but to live it every day, to go back through it, to understand it, to read it, to know it, and to live it. And that's what I'm talking about. Obedience in our life. We, obeying the Word of God should come naturally. It should come naturally to us. Our life's goal will be to adhere to the Word of God, and He receives the glory. That should be our life goal, to bring Him glory. How can we bring Him glory if we don't know anything about Him? How can we know anything about Him if we don't read His Word? And if we don't read His Word, you'll never bring Him glory. It comes full circle. Full circle. <coughs> Man, I'm having a good time preaching today. I hope y'all are having a good time, and I hope you're listening intently to what the Word of God should mean in our life. It's much easier to obey when we're rejoicing than when we're doing it out of obligation. You ever notice how you're happy? Man, when you're happy and things are going well, you'll do anything for anybody. Oh, you want me to go rob a bank? Yeah, I'll do that right now, but I'm so happy and nothing can take me off of cloud nine right now. I don't care if the police and the feds show up, I'm going to be happy. Oh, you want me to go fix the car? You want me to pull the engine out of the car? Where I've never looked at an engine before. I've never looked under the hood, but I'll go do it. I'm happy. You know, sometimes it's easy to do things when you're happy. It's not so easy to do them when you're disgruntled or we have to do them out of obligation. And that makes the difference. Obeying God's Word out of joy is much easier than doing it out of obligation. If you're doing it out of obligation, just stop. Just stop. Because if you're doing it out of obligation, it brings God no glory, it brings Him no happiness, no joy as to who you are as a Christian. Do it because you love God. Do it because you love the Word of God. I would rather lovingly obey rather than begrudgingly obey. You ever done that begrudgingly? You obey somebody just to prove a point? Well, I'll show him. I'll show her. And all along the joke was on us because they got us to do what they wanted us to do in the first place. It's much easier to do it when you're happy. James, James chapter 1, verse 23 says, If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. Once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. That's doing things out of obligation. You do them because you feel like you have to go through the motions to keep somebody happy. And you do them out of obligation. But as soon as you're done, you walk away, you immediately forget what type of person you are. You immediately forget why you did it. And you didn't see the value in it. And this is what this piece of Scripture is talking about. So we have to be doers of the Word. We'll gladly, when we're joyfully doing things for God's Word. James 1.22, the verse right before that says, Prove yourselves doers of the Word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Because hearers, you know what they do? They hear it, goes in one ear out the other, they don't do anything about it. Why? Because you didn't understand it. You didn't comprehend it. You have no love for it. It all comes back full circle. They did what God's Word says. The, the Israelites here did what God's Word says. They went out and they collected supplies to build the booths. And I told you I'd explain this to you. I'll do it very quickly because I know it's getting late. But man, I get so, so hyped up teaching God's Word and I love it. It says that they went out and they, they, they did what Nehemiah had instructed. Because what Nehemiah was instructing them to do is exactly what Ezra had just read, which is exactly what God had just wrote for him to read it, for Nehemiah to hear it, to be able to tell the people. And here's what they did. 
They said, let's go out, let's gather what we need. Now, the Feast of Booths was this. When the Feast of Booths would come around, or the Feast of Tabernacles, it was a commemoration, it was to remember the struggles that they had in the wilderness for 40 years. You all know about that, Moses in the, in the wilderness for 40 years, Mount Sinai, the people, uh, the people um, uh, um, I'm trying to look for the right word, they, they, uh, they went against God's word, they grumbled, they, they complained, and for 40 years they were out in the desert. And the struggles, the Feast of Tabernacles was to commemorate that. They had come from. That's, that's all this was about. But God commanded them to do it. Why? Why? And I'm going to answer that for you. Because sometimes we have to keep sin confessed. You, you do something wrong, you ask for forgiveness. God says, I don't know what you're talking about. But sometimes we have to remember what we did wrong. You know why? Because we'll do it again if we don't. We have to remember how horrible it made us feel, how we disappointed God and how we let God down. Then we won't do it again. The Israelites were told to remember this. And the reason that they had to build these little huts, they went out and they got these leafy branches and everything. What they did was they went up on the top of their houses and they built these little huts out of leaves, out of bamboo or whatever they could find. And they lived in them for seven days. And the reason why was so they could remember back on the struggles that God didn't put them through, but that their own people put themselves through. Because it wasn't God's fault that they struggled. It was their own because they were so disobedient to God. They were rebelling. That was the word I was looking for. They were rebelling against God. So God says, it's the Feast of Booths. You go out, you build these things. It comes five, da- five days after the Day of Atonement. You live in them for five days, or for seven days, to remember. And you, and you focus on God's Word. That's why Ezra, it says, for seven days he stood before the people publicly and he read God's Word. And for seven days they had a Bible study. Man, that's that for, a, for revival. They had, how would you like to be a part of that Sunday school class? Debbie, how would you like to teach for seven days straight? How would you like to come to church for seven days straight and learn God's Word? This is what they were doing. That was the Feast of the Booze. And I'm not telling you everything about it, but I'm just so we understand where we are. They did what God's Word said to do. They went out and they obeyed God's Word. They had a soul for God's Word, so they obeyed it. These aren't Troy's ideas. I'm just trying to prove to you through the Bible where their souls and their hearts and their minds were. And there's also, when you obey God's Word, there's thankful obedience. There's, there's obedience to the Word of God because you love Him, but there's also a thanks of obedience, uh, obedient thanks, thankfulness. Because what they were doing was they were thanking God that He kept those Israelites safe and protected for 40 years. Because had He not, they would have never existed. So during this time, it was also a time to reflect what it means to them, but it was also a time to give thanks for what God was doing in the future for them and their generations after them after they left this world. You know why a lot of churches, you know why a lot of people struggle with the way their churches are going and the direction they're going? You know why they struggle? Because they don't see what God can do with the church in the future. They think when they're gone, it's ending with me. And that's not true. A lot of people struggle with that. Because you can't see what God's going to do for the community and the people in the future with who's here now. And we struggle with that. There's joy in suffering. Like I said, when we come out of the other side, God pours His grace out. 
Man, that's wonderful. Musicians, you can come forward. And we'll sing quickly, I promise. So there's thankful obedience. There's also one more obedience I want to bring to your attention. There's giving obedience. Ed, would you come forward, please? Brother Bill, deacons, if you'd come forward, I'd appreciate it. There's giving obedience. As you notice that we read, go back and read it, that he said to collect things and give to those who didn't have enough and who were unprepared. What was he saying? You need to, you need to give to the people that are less fortunate. During this time of the Feast of Booths, those that couldn't, they were either too weak or maybe they were crippled or maybe they couldn't afford the resources, God said, go share your food, go, share, go pick up some extra leafy branches so they can build their booths. You're to help out the less fortunate. And that's what they did. So there's also a thankful obedience. It's being obedient to the point that you're thankful and that you're giving to give back. When we, when we take up offering on Sunday morning, it's a giving obedience. You're not giving me anything. My, my pay doesn't change. Anybody that's on staff here doesn't change because we take in more or less. You're not given to this. You're given to God. So is your giving done in obedience? Or is it done out of obligation? For seven days, for seven days, they worshiped God. They reflected on where they were and they gave thanks for what God was going to do for their nation in the future. And as I said this morning, if you don't have a story of how Jesus came into your life, and as the old hymn goes, if you don't have a story of how Jesus came from glory, then there's a problem, there's an issue. And I'll come down here if you need me to, but I'm going to sing up here one last song with y'all. But these men right here would love for you to come and talk to them about Jesus. And if you need me to come down, I will. But let's reflect on your story as we sing this last hymn about grace. Amazing. This is amazing grace.